Welcome to Stay Engaged. Everything you know and love about the IAB's flagship conference, Engage, but reimagined for these extraordinary times. It's Engage, but offstage. Today's offstage audio session is from IAB UK member and digital performance marketing agency, Tug, and their client at the WWF. With nature in real trouble, WWF is on the front line in the struggle to rebalance the relationship between nature and people. To the world's leading environment charity, social media is the quickest way to mobilize billions of people. So how are Tug and WWF using social stories to help save the world? My name is Emily King, Commercial Director at Tug. We are a global performance marketing agency with offices in London, Sydney, Toronto and Berlin. And for today's episode, I'll be speaking with my fantastic colleague, Emily Knox. Thank you, Emily King. I'm Emily Knox. I'm the head of social and content at Tug. So I run the social and content team where we cover off creating Uh, social media content, content for SEO, we run influencer campaigns and much more. My name's Alice. I'm Acting Global Head of Digital at uh, WWF International and I oversee all social media strategy and how we look to engage people using our digital channels to take real world action for nature. So maybe, Emily, you can tell us a little bit more about why social media is such an important platform to help WWF achieve these objectives. Sure. So um, as Alice mentioned, you know, we're, we're WWF International. We're talking to potentially the whole world. We have an audience in every country around the world. And one thing that social media does give us is the opportunity of enormous global reach. If we think about just Facebook on its own, about I think it's about 1.6 or closer to 1.7 billion people log into Facebook on any given day. So I think that's about one in five people on earth are on that platform every day, uh, which is mad. So when you have that ambition to reach and engage millions or even billions of people around the world with your message, social media is an obvious first stop. And then when you think about the other social media and messaging platforms that we're on, so the likes of Instagram, Viber, Twitter, TikTok, our audience is in the millions, but our potential reach is much bigger. And another factor is that social media is accessible to people in the developing world as well as people where we live in London or in other you know, Western countries or the developed world. Um, that's really important when you're talking to uh, um, a global audience. Uh, there's not a TV in every household in every country in the world, but most people do have access to a social network on a mobile phone. So it gives us a truly global reach. And then beyond just reach and impressions, social media is a really intimate medium. We can get really close to our audience. We can tell stories. We can strike emotional reactions in people. And that can lead to changing behaviours and directing real action, which is at the heart of what we want to do. And it's this emotive storytelling, which makes the social medium so powerful, I think. Uh, And that's something we always look to leverage in our content strategy. I totally agree with that, Emily. And I'd also say, in terms of social media, it's not just about broadcast. I think people often forget that the social element of social media is to have a two-way conversation and build communities. So you're really getting to the heart of 
what people are interested in, what inspires them. And also they can take our message further with their own communities, which adds sort of element of authenticity and builds trust that we might not get in the same way as just putting our brand on something. So I think it's really important to remember that there's a lot of user-generated content that you can do known as UGC and also polls and getting people to really interact with your content and share it with their friends. And that's one of the really exciting things, I think, about the depth of engagement that you can achieve using social media. What are the most important topics for WWF to, to talk about on their social channels? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I know that obviously in many countries around the world we're seen as being predominantly a wildlife charity we've got a panda for our logo um, and in many countries you can you know sort of adopt an animal as a symbolic way to help protect some of our most precious and iconic species but actually we do have six key areas of work and then three drivers of those work so I'll explain that a little bit more we've obviously got wildlife but in terms of you know thinking about wildlife in general you know we're looking at their habitats so you know, we also look at forests um, that's a really key area of work also oceans so the health of the oceans and the marine animals that live there also we look at climate and energy that's really important freshwater is one area that doesn't get as much sort of love as some of the other areas of our work but fresh water is obviously absolutely key to everything that life on earth depends on and having fresh rivers flowing having you know the species and, and you know to keep the water really healthy is really important and not to mention some of the amazing species that can be found in fresh water like a bum breathing turtle but um, you can find <laughs> out more about that if you want to google it I think that's one of my favorites <laughs> but we also work on um, food, which is quite surprising for a lot of people. But obviously, you know, healthy soil is really important to us eating and also sustaining the planet and looking at how land use has changed in terms of, you know, lots of agriculture and things. Um, food is really important. And then slightly drier subjects, but really important ones is the sort of finance, governance and markets that we work in. So things like illegal wildlife trade and it's those drivers that we use to really push, you know, governments and work with the UN, the United Nations and other organisations to try and get the real change that we're looking for in terms of getting nature to matter. And do you do you have any examples of some of those learnings or what you've found is the most impactful combination to drive people to take action? Any imagery which can to spark an emotion. So it doesn't have to be the baby panda, although that's a shortcut. I mean, any anyone who's been on social media mm -hmm. knows animals are a shortcut to engagement. But, you know, we found, for example, that a lot of the time it's animals and people together and adding people into our images can help. Anything that sparks an emotional reaction. So it could be a landscape which has been devastated. You know, for example, we, we did a very successful plastics campaign and we had imagery of plastic pollution dominating the environment. Uh, think about the incredibly, it's not our image, but think about the incredibly impactful image of the um, seahorse wrapped around the cotton buds. You know, these kind of things have cut through in, in a fast moving news feed and they connect with someone in a way that in a lot of ways, text and words never can. 
Emily, going back to what you were sort of talking about in terms of taking the audience on a journey to awareness and finally to action and, you know, using creative to spark emotions and, you know, it is a very engaging way to talk about a complex topic and I know Alice you just talked about some of the challenges to make sure that everything that WWF are posting and sharing is true and it's backed up by kind of facts and we know the source of all our information but how do you make sure that the content or the what you're talking about is relevant to a global audience and relevant to people from different backgrounds all around the world? Most international brands and WWF is no different, have sort of localised brand presence pages and presences. So as well as the WWF international presence, which we manage, there are many social media accounts run by the national office team. So there'll be WWF Brazil and WWF Italy. And of course, for those teams, that means they can tailor their content, make it hyper-relative, they can you know, run national campaigns, they're much less likely to encounter cultural and language barriers. But as I say, working on the international team, this means that we create content that has a huge audience or a huge potential audience, anyone anywhere around the world who cares about nature. And this channel is really important where the communicators of WWF central missions and goals but it comes with its own layers of difficulty as well. So, for example, how do you talk about actioning lifestyle changes which are intended to protect nature the same way to someone in London as to someone in Laos? So one issue we come up against again and again and is a really good case in point, I think, is veganism. So many of our Western followers are really eco-conscious and in the West being vegan or vegetarian often follows on from that and they want WWF to call to an end in using animal products due to their impact on things like climate change. But in the developing world, we might be speaking to people who, for example, have only got to a place economically speaking, quite recently, where they have regular access to animal protein. And they also can't necessarily dip down to Tesco and get a vegan sandwich for their lunch. <laughs> exactly. They've got different circumstances, different options. It's not appropriate to suggest the same path of action for both of these users. So this is just one example of the sort of thought processes we go through when we're creating content or making recommendations on social media, we have to remind ourselves that when you're managing a global brand, to constantly consider, in our case, our Western mindset and ensure the content we're creating is inclusive, sensitive and relevant to a global audience. Now, this means that there are a lot of things we won't say, and it does mean that sometimes for example, with Western vegans, we will upset a vocal minority. But I think it's the right call to make. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point, Emily. And we say perhaps we'll get our colleagues in Brazil or the Philippines mm -hmm. or, you know, in South Africa or something, if we're talking about something that is more relevant to them, that we can, we do have a system to, to run it by those experts and people on the ground who might be a bit closer to things and I think we all kind of learn quite a lot from that process. Absolutely it's so hard to sort of visualize every possible yeah, yeah lifestyle and situation in your head so it's so important to have those international teams to run things by and make sure they're going to make sense on the ground in all these different places. Yeah absolutely. 
Great. And um, Alice, it might be interesting for everybody listening just to understand a little bit more about, you know, WWF International and because you talk about some of the petitions, but I imagine with the variety of content that you talk about and the different approaches that you have and the different audiences that you need to speak to, what that conversion is different depending on what the campaign is or what the topic is. Yeah, a conversion for WWF, as you say, it could be something like a petition, but also we're looking at things like, you know, being able to share videos and share information. So we did put some uh, money which behind some posts around the Amazon fires because that was absolutely devastating for the area in autumn of last year. And there were lots of different reasons as to why those fires were so devastating. But one of them was to do with deforestation and we worked with our markets practice to create a small video to share on LinkedIn, which was targeted at directors, owners and CEOs in industries like logistics and supply chain, food production, farming and ranching. And that conversion was absolutely about awareness. So we really wanted people to understand that if they can put pressure on their supply chain to prove that the wood is coming from sustainable sources and not contributing to illegal deforestation, then that can really help, you know, and people can actually make a difference in their daily lives. And we got, you know, way above the industry average in terms of view through rate. So industry average is about 30%. And we were over 40%. And also our CTR was really positive. It was like 1.29% or something versus a 0.3%. So those are really going into the weeds a little bit with the numbers. But it's just showing that if we pick the right countries, so we targeted Europe, Latin America, North America, and with those sort of industries with the right message, you know, a conversion like awareness is really important. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Instagram stories for most brands, you know, for the last couple of years have been a format that have gained huge amount of interest and I think that's because of a wider shift which is is really moving attention from the news feed to stories which is a, a major shift if you think about the history of social media it's been very news feed dominated and then Snapchat came along and then of course Facebook and Instagram have copied a lot of the really successful viral elements of that so stories are a really exciting place it's not just where people are focusing their attention at the moment but they're also quite a bit more of a fun and playful space for brands because they are ephemeral and they unless you choose to highlight them they're going to be disappear within 24 hours you can be a little more reactive not as polished it can be a bit more fun it's a bit more interactive in terms of Instagram you can run polls and ask questions and get a lot more feedback Um, so it's something that we use quite a lot And the other really important thing about stories is, particularly for Instagram versus an Instagram post, you can direct people to a link. So when we're talking about people taking direct action, they are fantastic for directing people to sign a petition or watch a video. It might be to watch a longer video on IGTV or whatever it might be. They're really, really great at doing that, much more than you can achieve from an Instagram post, for example. 
it's really good to talk about the different conversions because as I was saying with awareness and then the fantastic click through or you know that you get from IG stories but also we just finished a competition around Earth Day so it's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day on the 22nd of April and to celebrate we launched a competition that we used the hashtag billion shades of green and it was a UGC competition so user generated content asking people from the safety of their homes to share their favorite images from nature and it just goes to show in these really unprecedented times how keen people are to get involved with things like that because we actually got over 8,000 entries over three days and some of my colleagues are having the very tough but amazing job of picking six winners from those Mm. 8,000 entries so I think you guys are going to be sharing those winners soon right but it's so exciting and that such beautiful contributions from people yeah I think that's so nice and I think that social media started out as social media but I feel like in a lot of ways it feels like it's drifted away from that to become a display platform or an ad platform or you know somewhere where fake news is disseminated but at its heart I think there are still many instances where there are true communities you know we've got a a Facebook group set up that's attached to the WWF page which is highly engaged you know we run these kind, kind of competitions and they get good great feedback there is still that need and I think probably now more than ever during COVID lockdown to have that engagement in that community online. But do you think that we've really seen you know more engagement since this has happened because it sort of feels that way doesn't it? I feel like it has yes I feel like um, and I feel like people are I saw a great meme and it was you know in 2019 oh you know social media is ruining our lives 2020 thank god for social media (laughs) in a new light like what would we do without um all these social tools to stay in touch we'd be so isolated and that's why they were all designed in the first place and i think we've taken them for granted for a long time but um i think there's a sort of renewed pleasure and renewed sense of value in them right at the moment yeah absolutely and i guess you know sort of just the way that companies and organisations and individuals have, you know, totally sort of pivoted in, to helping people at this time. It's, it's been really, really yeah. rewarding. And I just sort of renewed sense of hope. We are all sort of pulling together. Absolutely. Yeah. Really interesting hearing you guys speaking just about all the different topics that you're talking about, but giving those examples of campaigns or content that we've run and, you know, especially hearing about the LinkedIn campaign that was about the Amazon fire. So quite a hard hitting topic and the way that, you know, you used LinkedIn to target the right people there. And I think that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I'm sure that most people like me and most people listening to this episode will be seeing more of the the content that Emily was talking about, about the Instagram stories and the videos and the Billion Shades of Green competition. Um, So I think it's really interesting for people to understand more about the huge variety of stuff that you do and how you really tailor your content and strategy and channel to the audience that you're speaking to to get the best engagement so just focusing on one particular campaign that we worked on together it was the hashtag stop plastic pollution campaign Um, and I think this will be interesting for, for everyone to hear about because you know since 
Blue Planet 2 in 2017. And thanks to Sir David Attenborough, who we all love very much, and he's an international treasure. There's been so much more awareness uh, about plastic pollution. And I know that we've seen, you know, small changes in the UK, such as banning the use of plastic straws and small things like that. But I've got a fantastic stat here about the campaign that we ran and we actually achieved 1.6 million signatures to help yep. stop plastic pollution. So it would be great to hear from you guys a little bit more about the detail of that campaign, who you were targeting, what the objective was and what the impact of the success of that campaign was. Sure. And I think if we go back to, you know, those content pillars and there's things that are obviously engaging and things you have to think a bit harder about. And I think plastic pollution is one of those ones you had to think a bit harder about, about how we're going to get people to understand this and be interested in it. And we started off with this stat, which is that 8 million tonnes of plastic enters the ocean every year, which boggles my mind I can't actually quite get my head around it it's a shocking start and I think when you're dealing with a problem of that scale it's pretty obvious that yes if everyone goes out and buys a um, metal straw tomorrow that's great but that alone is not going to fix this problem actually we need commitments from governments around the world to make changes to fix this problem of plastic pollution so our audience is governments we need governments to, to make this change but of course to make governments care we need people to care and we need the people that vote them in their constituents to care about it so it sort of trickles up yeah absolutely so this campaign you know in that light it was about mobilizing a global audience to sign a petition to urge their governments to stop plastic pollution and so like i said we, we think about content about how it fits on a, on a user journey broadly we express the user journey for plastic pollution in three questions which represented the three stages so they were what's the deal with all this plastic so people trying to understand like what is the scale of this problem um, so for this stage we created content which introduced the issue and got people to understand the scale and this is where we want people to feel it's the sort of more, most emotional stage so we use quite shocking imagery of plastic pollution filling up landscapes and affecting wildlife then we want them to think well what's the deal with no one doing anything about this like how could this happen so this is a bit more um informative or intellectual content i suppose focused on explaining the breadth of the issue and then lastly we want people to think well what's the deal with something getting done about this so this is where we showed what our proposed solution is and how we can all work together to solve it and I think this is really important. You have to have this, what can be done about it. You have to have this action stage when you're framing environmental challenges because it gives that ray of hope and it gives the end user agency in solving the problem. It doesn't just feel like too much and people are going to switch off. And the other nice thing about this content was it was designed, it wasn't just a few posts to be posted out in one day. It was a month-long campaign. So we were able to talk in really great detail about the nuances of the issue and just gradually build this understanding and gradually drive people down the user journey and drive action. And as you heard, it was very successful. Mm. And I think from what you're saying then, it, being able to share that information with them empowers people to understand that they can do more other than just small things in their local community and recycling. They can take action that has bigger consequences on a, a national and international level. Yeah, exactly. I think people can 
you know, certainly in my experience, feel really quite helpless. Like, you know, you say, Emily, yeah. that's such a crazy amount of, do you say 8 million tonnes a year? The Stop Plastic Pollution campaign was a huge success and we're, we're, we're extremely proud of it um, as well because we also won a DigiDay marketing and advertising award for it for the best social good campaign. So we're, we're really, really proud of that. It's great to hear you guys talk about the plastics campaign, that we had time to, to plan that campaign and align it around the UN meeting that you mentioned, Alice, um, and around Christmas time to make, make the content really relevant and stand out in that fast moving feed. But I know that, that, you know, there's lots of things that we, we can't plan for, such as global catastrophes and, and the, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all currently living through. So it would be great to hear from you guys exactly how you choose to talk about those things and, and how you can be reactive. I think WWF, more than many brands, needs to be ready to respond to crises and issues as they happen. So if you can think back, beyond the current crisis, which is difficult. Last year and early this year, the Amazon fires and then the Australian bushfires were dominating headlines all around the world and I think had people genuinely worried about their, the health of nature and the health of the planet. Being WWF or international, we were really quick to address these issues, but we also tried to do it in a really sensitive manner. So for example, when everyone is talking about an issue and the news is dire and the negative imagery is just mounting up and really causing distress and anxiety, how's the best way for us to add to that conversation? And I think there's four main points about how we do that. And the first is be really aware of this thing called disaster fatigue which means that quite often picking the most harrowing image you can find will work really well the first time, like we're talking about animals, uh, you know, being a shortcut to emotion and engagement. But it is a law of, a, of diminishing returns because people start becoming numb to these kind of images and then your subsequent messaging will lose impact. The next one is there has to be hope and we've touched on it already, but messages have to, when it's about a challenge, um, contain a clear solution or if not a, a prepackaged solution some sort of action that can be taken some sort of hope for the future or people are going to feel useless and could switch off the third thing is sort of on the same topic around hope that we often found the best reactions came from content which showed how people are helping so in the midst of a crisis there are positive stories. It might not be dolphins in the, in the canal, which turned out not to be right. <laughs> One of the best images that we posted was of a, an Australian fireman rescuing a, a koala uh, who was trapped in the fires. Find a positive angle. Find the people who are helping animals, each other in nature, and post that because there was always stories like that out there. And then the last point I'd make is keep talking. We've got such a quick news cycle at well, it doesn't feel like it at the moment because all we've spoken about is coronavirus for six weeks. But generally, the news will talk about these things for a few days or, or maybe a few weeks, depending on the, the depth of the crisis. But then it will just move on. Um, you know, when's the last time we saw a headline about the Australian bushfires, which was the largest extinction event, I believe, ever? You know, it's huge. We need to well, in our lifetimes. In our lifetimes, yes. Yeah, like you say, it's hard to imagine a world before COVID-19. But we run a, an annual 
celebration of the earth called earth hour and it happens at 8 30 p.m local time one of the last saturdays in march and obviously this year we plan for it in, in advance because it's a huge event it's like a mexican wave of lights going out around the world as people switch off their lights for an hour symbolically to show you they support mitigating against climate change and um, that they care about nature so there's loads of on the ground events there's things happening across the world and this crisis, this global health crisis, was just spreading across the world in a couple of weeks before Earth Hour was about to take place. You know, and this has been going on since 2007 when it launched in Sydney. So it's a huge, huge deal. Over 190 countries take part. So our team did such an amazing job of going totally digital for Earth Hour this year. All of the on-the-ground events were cancelled. Anything, all of the messaging we just put through our filter because we quickly gathered together and created our comm strategy in light of you know this, dev this devastating pandemic and it's affecting different people around the world in different ways at different times so we have to be really mindful of that so we develop a communication strategy that starts in phase one which is empathy and then when we're able to move to phase two we start talking about connections so that's how you know the natural world and our health and um, zoonotic diseases which is when a pathogen jumps from an animal to a human and how those connections are important and then eventually we'll get to phase three we're all hoping and that's about solutions so how can we learn from what's happened here to ensure that this doesn't happen again and we've actually just launched today an open letter signed by over 100 scientists calling for major things that need to change in order for us to mitigate against this sort of devastating health crisis happening again so it's a very challenging time and i know it's for everybody but i'm i'm quite proud of the way that we've been able to pull together as an organization and with the help of tug to you know sort of pivot our comms and deliver that to summarize could you both just tell the listeners briefly how you think social media stories can save the world sure i think that social media has been really harshly judged at many points in its fairly short history i think many would dismiss it as trivial just the domain of selfies and memes many would say it's got a sinister undercurrent i think if you think about the dark world of cambridge analytica and potentially rigged elections but i think what it does have undebatably is power and that's the power it might be to mobilize families all around the world at the moment to do the same TikTok dance. It might be the power to change the course of referenda, but we can harness that power for good and we can use it to change people's behaviors and get people around the world to take action to pr protect nature. And that's exactly what we're doing with WWF International. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Emily, I couldn't put it better. <laughs> I think, you know, we really do have that power and, and we've seen particularly through this crisis again, the need for people to pull together and, and mobilise and really get that systemic change that we need to value and, and give the natural world the love and nurturing that it needs so that we can set it on a path to recovery and all, all live together in harmony. That's what we're trying to achieve ultimately. Amazing. Thank you, Emily and Alice, for your time today. It's been great chatting with you both as always. And Alice, maybe you can tell everyone if they want to get involved, how they can do that. 
Yeah, thanks, Emily. It's been really great chatting to you as well. And um, well, thank you both, Emily's. If you have been inspired, I hope that some of this has been interesting for you. Then you can get involved by going to panda.org slash voice and there you can add your voice for the planet and join hundreds of thousands of other people around the world who've done the same it would just be really nice to feel that you might have been inspired by today's conversation so it's panda.org slash voice and thanks so much for the opportunity you're listening to stay engaged from iab uk thank you for tuning in to this offstage audio session If you've enjoyed this session, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. Subscribe wherever you're listening to hear the rest of the Stay Engaged sessions and for the regular IAB UK podcast. In the next session, we hear from Lab Bible Group about how it used its mass reach to raise awareness of outdated legislation preventing sexually active gay or bisexual men from donating blood, even if it's perfectly safe to use. Coming up as part of Stay Engaged.